Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet. Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to, be, to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Lord, May your word live in us. Thank you, Betty. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts, we pray, that the words spoken may be your words and the voice we hear would be your voice and that the message that is preached will be relevant and real to each of us. To speak, Holy Spirit, for we, your children, are listening. Amen. As you know, forgiveness is what we're looking at, and that reading that Betty read is a, a very well-known parable that Jesus preaches on forgiveness, and 
speaks to our level of the level we've been forgiven and the level that we need to forgive. But I can scarcely hear the word forgiveness without thinking of the little boy who probably speaks for all of us when he said, I wanted to ask God for a push bike, but I know that's not how God works. So I stole one and asked him for forgiveness instead. <laughs> when it comes to forgiveness and building God's, uh, building God's kingdom, uh, through a forgiveness that opens up relationships, I think that in Christianity, there is, there is nothing more challenging. It's probably one of the toughest aspects of treating other people the way that Christ has treated us. To forgive those who hurt us, to love those who we don't love, that is, that is tough. That is a difficult, it may be the toughest aspect to Christianity to forgive with the kind of uh, reckless abandonment, the kind of sacrificial forgiveness, the loving forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus Christ. There are some very powerful examples of forgiveness that surround us. Uh, one that's pretty close to home for me is the example of uh, Nelson Mandela, who came out of jail after 27 years and, and really had the power to do whatever he wanted in the country. The masses would have followed him whatever instruction he would have given. And had he have given the instruction of fighting or whatever it could have happened, instead he came out and said, let's forgive. And he urged an entire nation to do the same. There's the story of Malala Yousafzai, who is the uh, young Muslim woman who, at the age of 16, was shot in the head by the Taliban uh, for simply for wanting an education. That's all that she wanted to do was, was to be educated, yet she forgave them. She forgave the, the perpetrators of that crime, and in that forgiveness, she changed the hearts of many. She became the youngest ever Nobel Peace Prize uh, laureate because um, such is the power of forgiveness. When the world sees that kind of grace, that kind of forgiveness offered, it's amazing uh, what happens. I remember listening to her talk shortly uh, after she received the Nobel Peace Prize, and and at one point when she was talking about her captors, uh, her the, um, the the men who had shot her, she simply said this, almost just a one line thrown out there. She said, "Forgiveness is given, and that's the end of the story." Forgiveness is given, end of story. That's an amazing. Uh, an amazing example to look at in terms of modern-day uh, modern forgiveness. But how does this passage of Scripture help us get to that point of being willing to forgive? Well, right at the very beginning, what prompts this parable is Jesus trying to put forgiveness into perspective and trying to emphasize that forgiveness is at the heart of our relationship with God, but also at the heart of our relationship with others and at the heart of what it means to build God's kingdom. Here is Peter, who is probably struggling with this issue of forgiveness and uh, sees what Jesus is going through and sees the way the Pharisees treat him. And so he says to Jesus, as if he's being uh, super spiritual and clever, he says, well, after we've gone to our brother and sister and attempted to sort through the distance differences, I suppose we should forgive them. But how many times? And he says to Jesus, seven times, right? 
Now the reason I say that Peter thinks he's being very clever and spiritual is that the Jewish law at the time dictated you only had to forgive three times. That was it. A maximum of three times. They said God would only forgive you three times and you're not better than God, so you don't have to forgive more than three times. So when Peter says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times. He's thinking, well, you know, I'm going to double it and I'll add one for good measure and to really show Jesus that I'm getting this idea of the concept of grace. And Jesus turns around and says, uh, no, no, not seven times, but uh, the version on the screen said 77 times. The version in my scripture says 70 times seven. And I always think of Peter I imagine him uh, just being so surprised, eyes wide open, you know, and uh, probably sitting there with his hands, hoping Jesus can't see, working out what 70 times 7 is. How many times am I supposed to be forgiving these people? But the story that Jesus goes on to tell about the unmerciful servant is well known, but what Jesus is really trying to get us to grasp here is, is two important aspects. And the first is that it's a parable about the kingdom of God. He begins the story by saying uh, these words to Peter. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to, and he goes on. The parable is firstly about what it means for us as Christians to be living in the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom where we receive and give forgiveness, where forgiveness is in abundance. It's a, it's a kingdom where there is, there is freedom in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So much so it's what we remember when we come for communion. This is what we are reenacting. Some years ago, uh, Larry King interviewed Bono, the lead singer of uh, the rock group U2. And he was talking to him about his well-known commitment to Christianity and how he was trying to live that out in the world through his, uh, through his good work that he does. And it prompted Larry King to ask the question. He said, he said, tell me, Bono, what makes Christianity different from all the other religions in the world? What does Christianity have to offer that other religions do not? And Bono paused for a moment and uh, then answered this. He said, all the other religions of the world, in one way or another, teach some form of karma, some form of having to repay or do good. But it is only Jesus who offers grace. In all the religions of the world, people end up having to pay a penalty for their sins or do some penance. Only Christ, by His grace, makes it possible for people to be delivered from the consequences of their sin that they have committed in this life. In our religion in Christianity, we sometimes live as if it is about karma. We sometimes live as if we, we try and do good and, and earn our way to get that forgiveness. And we often, in doing so, avoid the issue of, of needing to understand just how much we have been forgiven. The depth of what Christ offers us is something quite unique. It's not something we could have ever deserve. Again, in the passage that Betty read for us, it said 10,000 bags of gold. You can imagine how many that is. In my Bible, it speaks about 10,000 talents. And, and a talent was a huge amount of money. To give you an idea, it probably weighed about uh, 21 kilos or so. The, the whole entire revenue for Herod for all of his territories for one of the years was 900 talents. So 10,000 talents would require a, 
a, a line of men seven kilometers long to actually carry it. It was an impossible debt to pay. But this king has mercy. He sees the servant, he has compassion, and forgives him the debt. And the servant even says, let me repay you. Be patient with me. And the king realizes there's just no way. It's as if you or I owed somebody a billion dollars. No matter what we did, we could sell both our kidneys and it wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be able to pay the debt. And the king recognizes this and releases him from that. And while it is a story that teaches about forgiving for others, it is first and foremostly about the kingdom of God where the forgiveness we have received is immense. It's a story about the depth of forgiveness, which if we do not get a sense of, we will always struggle to forgive others. If we do not understand the, what we've been forgiven, if we do not grasp the concept of, of how much Christ has given for us to be forgiven, it, it always becomes a struggle to forgive others. When we start understanding the kingdom nature of forgiveness, it leads us to the second aspect of the parable, which is to live out that forgiveness. The forgiveness of God is to be experienced and to be lived out. It's about doing what, doing to others <clears throat> what we expect God to do for us. We've gotten used to this idea that we will be forgiven, that we will come to Holy Communion, that we will, that this God is a God of grace, and it almost becomes unexpected. The parable says what we expect of God needs to be done out in other people's lives as well. There's a, and when we do that, that's when people come into a touch of God's grace. Like the, the, the young man with the wristwatch. When forgiveness happens, when the world says you don't have to, when forgiveness is given and you know that there was no way you could have earned that forgiveness, that is the beautiful moment of grace that build, builds God's kingdom. I read the story of a young boy named Billy who was in grade four somewhere in America. And Billy had a sister named Annie who was, uh, who was disabled and in a wheelchair. And when Annie started to go to school, Billy was responsible for it. So he pushed her wheelchair to school. He would take her to classes. He'd be late for his own class because he was always taking her and fetching her to go to her classes. He, he quite enjoyed this uh, responsibility for her, never bothered her, uh, him. He kind of felt it was a real privilege to look after the well-being of his sister. When he was finishing fourth grade, Annie passed away, and uh, Billy no longer had that responsibility of caring for her. And instead of being relieved, he actually kind of descended into, uh, into a, a sense of depression and, um, and became withdrawn because a major purpose of his existence had been taken away. And when he got into that state, it wasn't long that Billy ended up in all sorts of, in all sorts of trouble. He uh, would be arguing with the teachers. He earned the reputation of being this naughty kid. Um, and it became a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know how it goes with children and sometimes just they live into that. When Billy entered the seventh grade, this is now three years later, he found himself in a class with a brand new teacher called Mr. Smith. And uh, on the first day of class, Billy was disheveled, hair all messed up and sitting at the back of the class and Billy noticed the stack of files on Mr. Smith's desk and uh, he thought, oh boy, here we go. He's been looking at the records 
already. And uh, Mr. Smith began. He wrote his name on the board. Hello, Mr. Smith. He said, uh, which one of you is Billy? And he had the file. Billy thought, great. He said, Billy, come and sit here right in the front. Billy sort of grabbed his bag and wandered up. And Mr. Smith looked at him and sitting at his desk and he said to him, Billy, I've read through your file and it's told me all sorts of things about you. So I just want you to know I don't believe a single one of them. I'm tearing it up. And he tore up the file and he put it in the bin. And he said, I'm sure we're going to get along great. By the end of the year, Billy had uh, um, improved incredibly. The belief of this teacher in him was something to behold. He uh, started attending uh, Sunday school and uh, all the rest. And, and the Sunday school teacher at the end of the year said, does anybody know anybody like Jesus? And Billy said, I do. Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith is like Jesus. A simple moment of, of what that sense of forgiveness can do. That file gets torn up. And that's, that for me is not a bad analogy of, of all, at all. We have this Jesus who, who like that Mr. Smith destroys the records, destroys the, the, the transgressions, and presents us faultless to the Father. And if we understand that concept, if we understand what we've been forgiven, it has to bear itself in being lived out into the lives of others. I mentioned this, the amount of talents, the scale of the debt that was owed. Equally important is the scale of debt that the other servant owed to the unmerciful one. He owed him a hundred denarii, which in today's value is probably about a dollar. Ten thousand talents, one dollar. Contrast between the two is really meant to point to the fact that we've received far more than what we are asked to give. That forgiveness that we have gained is far greater than we could ever imagine. Which is why Jesus is so adamant about us living it out. So many times in Scripture, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In the Lord's Prayer that we prayed, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this parable, where Jesus ends by saying, As you forgive your brother or sister from your heart, so your heavenly Father will forgive you. We live in the kingdom of God where we have received grace and love and mercy far beyond what we deserve or ask or could earn. And if we're going to build that kingdom, then Christ calls us not to do some miraculous deed, not to preach wonderful sermons from the rooftops. He doesn't even call us to know our Bibles backwards. He calls us to receive forgiveness and to live it out. That's what we do this morning in Holy Communion. We receive that forgiveness and we live it out. Let me end with a story. Noel, if you want to call the kids, we can do that. The story is told by uh, an American evangelist, sociologist called Tony Campolo. He's an incredible uh, man. I, I really enjoy his stuff. And I'm going to read the story as he wrote it because he tells it better than I could tell it. But he says... An airplane trip I once made from Denver to Colorado Springs makes for a good story. It was a short flight of less than half an hour, and as I stood waiting to be called to board the plane, there was no escaping a noisy and happy little girl 
who was bouncing around, clapping her hands and chanting joyfully, I'm going to see Daddy, I'm going to see Daddy. She sang that one line over and over again in a most obnoxious way. At first, I tried to smile at the little girl who was resplendent in a fluffy dress, patterned leather shoes and pigtails. But it became more and more difficult to smile as she continued to jump up and down, letting everyone know the good news that she was going to see her daddy. After the first 10 minutes of this, what was initially cute had become irritating and annoying. I was glad when the time came for us to board the plane. However, as is my luck when I took my seat on the airplane, I found very much to my dismay that the noisy little girl was right across the aisle from me. And she continued to clap her hands and to announce to all in sing-song fashion that she was going to see her daddy. Because it was only a short flight, the flight attendant was offering only cookies and Coca-Cola. Every time the flight attendant passed the happy little girl, she took a cookie and Coca-Cola. I found it amazing how many cookies and Coca-Colas that little girl was able to consume in such a short flight while still singing about her daddy. As the plane approached the airport in Colorado Springs, it went through a thunderstorm, which made a rough and bouncy ride. We all know that cookies do not smell bad, nor does Coca-Cola smell bad. So it figures that if you mixed cookies and Coca-Cola in a sweet little girl, that shouldn't smell bad. But this is not the case. It wasn't long before there was an eruption, and what came out of her was the worst smelling vomit imaginable. It was all over the little girl. It was all over her mother. And what made things worse was that it came out in waves. Every time I thought that the vomiting had come to an end, there would be another eruption and another and another. When the airplane finally touched down, I couldn't wait to get down the aisle and away from this incredibly smelly mess. As I walked up the connecting corridor to the airport, I saw a man standing at the end of the walkway dressed in a white flannel suit, eagerly waiting for somebody. I just knew who he was. And I lingered behind because I wanted to see the encounter between this elegantly dressed father and this little vomit face. What happened next really took me by surprise. The little girl came running up to her father. He got down on one knee and swept her into his arms as if he didn't even notice. She was covered with vomit and smelled very bad. He didn't even blink an eye. It seemed to make no difference to him whatsoever. He had his little girl and that was all that mattered. Do you know, I like that story because I reckon I come running down the aisle with my clothes covered in the smelly dirt of my sin pretty often. And that's the beauty of God's forgiveness that he scoops me up in his arms regardless. That's what Holy Communion is all about for you and for me, that we are scooped up into the arms of Jesus just as we are. We've been forgiven a debt which is beyond all paying. And we live in a kingdom where we have received forgiveness and must give forgiveness. Amen.